0: So um, our text this morning, we're taking from the book of James chapter 5, James chapter 5, thank you, Larissa. So our text this morning, we're taking from James chapter 5, and we're going to be considering an amazing statement and the Apostle James made there in chapter 5 and verse 16b there. But before we do that, why don't we say a word of prayer right now? Father God, I thank you most High Father for this opportunity to speak with these your people God this morning. Father, you know I don't have any words for these people this morning. But Almighty Father, I know you have a word for your people today. I know you have a word to speak to someone today, O oh God. So I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning, would you please speak to us? Lift up our eyes, lift up our faith to the cross of Christ this morning. Help us to see no one but to see Jesus glorified in his room tonight. Thank you, Father God. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, once again, we're going to be in James chapter 5 this morning. And the title of my sermon this morning is Power in Prayer. Power in Prayer. So of late, Pastor Tanner has preached several sermons on prayer and pursuing intimacy with God in the sacred place. And I'm very thankful that we are becoming a praying church. But there's a joy to see people pray for one another in small groups, our community groups. We see this at Fire Nights. I mean, we had a wonderful time at Fire night uh, in December. And we're also looking forward to another Fire Night next week, Friday, actually, the 3rd of January. What a great way to start the new year that will be. I mean, we've also seen people pray for one another at pre service prayer. That was so beautiful this morning to see us pray together, pray for our meet again this morning. So I'm very thankful that our church is becoming a praying church. While we are developing our prayer Moses, some among us may say, my prayers are ineffective, and I'm not sure God is answering those prayers. Why am I lacking power in my prayer?" I don't know if that's you today, and those are the questions you have in your heart. But today, this morning, that's exactly what I want us what I want us to consider in our time this morning. How do we have access to God's power in our prayers? How do we have access to God's power in our prayer? Someone may say, why pray at all? There are other powers we can count on besides God's power. We can talk about the power of love. We can talk about the power of speech. We can talk about the power of our military strength. We can talk about the power of the human mind. But I tell you, my friends, all of those are true power in some sense, but only to a limited extent. Only to a limited extent. Let's consider Alexander the Great. He was so powerful that he conquered the known world at that time. He was undefeated in battle. And yet, when death came calling at the age of 32 years, he was powerless. He was powerless. All his military strength and his armies could not help him. He was defeated in the one single battle that mattered. On the other hand, the Bible teaches that Absolute power belongs to God. Absolute power belongs to God. Absolute power belongs to God. David said in Psalm 62 verse 11, he said, God has spoken once. And for emphasis, said twice I've heard it, that power belongs to God. Power belongs to God. So all other powers are under God's power. You know, Isaiah was speaking about God's power over the nations. He said the nations, in Isaiah 40, he said the nations are like a drop of water in a bucket. Think about that. When God got all the nations of the earth are like a drop of water in a bucket. He said they are regarded as dust on his scale. Isaiah 40 tells, he said, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and all the inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Think about this, you have a circle and you have God over that. And all of us are like grasshoppers in the sight. Space expert tells us that our galaxy has at least a billion stars. A billion stars. Some people say it's 200 billion stars in our galaxy alone. And there are multiple galaxies. The Bible tells us that God created all of the stars. All of the stars. He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each of them by its name. And because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one of them is missing. Think about that. You have billions and billions of stars up there in space, and not a single one of them is missing. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1-3, he said, God sustains the universe by the power of his word. God sustains the universe by the power of his word. He holds everything together. There was a man, whom God blessed, and God put him over the nations of the earth. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar thought it was the best thing that happened to mankind. And he became so proud And God taught him a lesson in humility. He changed from a man to a beast. And God said in Daniel chapter 4 verse 17, He said that the Most High, He taught him a lesson to know that, that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. And He gives them to anyone He wishes and sets over them, even the lowliest of men, absolute power belongs to our great God. Absolute power belongs to our great God. The best of men, with their best abilities, with all their glory, are still men whose life is like a vapor. They are here today, and tomorrow they are no more. Their best effort is limited, but our great and our mighty God is unlimited and has infinite powers. The good news I bring this morning Is that the infinite power of God is available in the place of prayer? It's available to the man or woman, to the boy or girl who prays. And that is what our text today tells us. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you look at the footnote on that B part, the footnote there says, an an alternative translation is, the effective prayer of a righteous person has great power. Though important, my goal today is not to consider what the exact translation of the text is. Rather, my aim is to help us see the truth of this declarative statement to believe it, and to practice it. That we see the truth in this statement, for us to believe it, and to walk in the truth of that statement. So the, so the text we're looking at this morning, the prayer of a righteous person, has great power as it is working. The Apostle James introduced this text in the middle of his teaching on prayer. This James was James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is also known as James the the Just, and he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Bible scholars believe that he was writing primarily to Jewish Christians in this version, as the introduction of the book says. Some men liken this epistle to a collection of wisdom sayings like the book of Proverbs because James spoke on several topics. At this point in chapter 5, it was writing about suffering and prayer as a correct response to suffering. A wise woman defined suffering as wanting something you don't have. You want it, but you don't have it, or having something you don't want. Suffering is wanting something you don't have, I want it, or having something you don't want. The suffering the apostle focused on here was on sickness. It might be spiritual, it might be physical, and that prayer is always the right response. While sin is not always the cause of illness, here he says if a sick person has committed sins, he should pray, confess his sins, and he will be healed. Then, in the middle of that, he makes the declarative statement which we are considering this morning. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. I want those to tell us the truth that the amazing and the infinite power of God is accessible to the person who prays. It's accessible to the righteous person who prays. So let's look at some examples of some people who have great power in their prayer. So what James did here is, if you look at verses 17 and 18 of the text we just read, after he made that statement, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I'm going to follow his line of thinking here. Then he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This was a man who had power in his prayers. Elijah's, power had power. Elijah's prayer had power over nature and the national affairs of Israel. That reminds me of Mary, the Queen of Scotland. Mary, the Queen of Scotland, said she did not fear all of the armies in Europe except the prayer of a man by the name of John Knox. He said, put all of the armies in Europe together, I don't fear them, but I fear the prayer of a single man, John Knox. John Knox influenced the national affairs of Scotland. Today, where are the Elijahs? Where are the Jonathan's of our days? Where I they? Who will arise and pray for our nation? The apostle James could go on and give us other examples, but he did not. So I'm going to give us two more. So Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah was childless. She had been married for several years and she had no children and she was oppressed by her rival. They poked fun at her. When she could take the suffering no more, she turned to God in earnest prayers, and she prevailed with God because her petition was granted her. God is there today. What is that suffering in your life? Is it your health? Is it the health of a loved one? Is it finances? Are you worried about your marriage? Are you worried about your children? Will you take it to our great God in prayer? He is here today to answer that prayer in your heart. Prayers don't have to be long, they can be short, they can be long. God hears us. When Anna was speaking in 1 Samuel chapter 1, he said, The Bible says, our lips were moving, but no words came. She was basically telling God the pain in our heart. We can talk to God, we can tell God about the pain we have in our heart. Let me give us one more example. A praying church. A praying church. In Acts chapter 12, the prayers of a praying church saved a member of that church from dying. King Herod had just killed James, the brother of John, and the Jews praised him for it. To satisfy their blood loss against Christians, he proceeded to arrest Peter with the plan to kill him the next day. While political advocacy and lobbying had some effect, the Jerusalem church did not turn to humans for help. They did not go to lobby politicians. They did not go to lobby the friends of Herod that please deliver, period. What did they do? They turned in prayer to the only God who has the power of life and death, the God who made Herod the king. They prayed earnestly. And Peter was miraculously set free. Come to Fire Night next Friday with your petitions, with your requests, and our church will take your request to God in prayer. Come to prayer Night next Friday. We will take together your request to God in prayer because we know God is here, because we know He's powerful and that He answers our prayers. So now, we've established that God is powerful. And that God answers the prayers mightily of a righteous person. I know that He answers prayers, but why don't I often see this power manifested in my prayers? How can I access this power in my prayers? So let me ask you a question, friends. Does our text say prayer has great power? Yes or no? Does our text say Pre- prayer has great power. You, 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 you can talk back to me, guys. Those our text say prayer has great power? Are we sure about that? The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Those our text say prayer has great power? Those okay. our text say the prayer of a person has great power? Thank you. <laughs> our text is let's say it together. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Let's say it together. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Let's say it again. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. One more time now. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. That is what our text is. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. The righteous person, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, is the one who has access to God's power in prayer. Just as that power was accessible to Elijah, who was human just as we are, just as that power was available to John Knox, a human being like us, just as it was accessible to George Muller, who cared for thousands of, of orphans through the power of prayers, that power is acceptable to us today. Our way of life may differ from the life of these great men and women, but our basic composition, our DNA, has not changed. Our need for a Savior has not changed, and we need this power in prayer as much as they did. We need this power in prayer as much as they did. The simple qualification from our text, is righteousness. Is righteousness. There is nothing we can do to impress God. That's granted. There is no righteous what we can do that will impress God to make him answer our prayer. But here the text says, the, the prayer of a righteous man has great power. Knowing that, let's pursue righteousness through faith in Christ Jesus to access God's power in prayer. Because, why should we do that? Because, so there's this theme, it's very recurrent in the Old Testament, that God does not listen to sinners. God does not listen to sinners. The psalmist said in Psalm 66, verse 18, he said, if I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have answered me. God does not listen to sinners. Isaiah 59, 1 to 2 says, He it said, It's not as if the hand of the Lord is shut that He cannot save us, or is His ears dull that He cannot hear us. But He said, Our sins have made a separation from us. And God's face is hidden so that we cannot sin because of our sins. I love this. I love it so much. In John chapter 9, Jesus healed a man that was born blind. And this man who was born blind apparently was blind. But his heads were walking. He listened to the teachings in the temple and everywhere else. The man said, I mean, the Jewish men were saying, who healed you again? Are you sure Jesus healed you? He's a bad man. He's not a good man. But the man made a very profound statement in John chapter 9 and verse one. He said, for we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. He was teaching the teacher something. <laughs> Let's pursue righteousness through faith in Christ Jesus to access God's power in prayer because God's eyes and His ears are toward the righteous. David tells us that in Psalm 34. If read Psalm 34, 15-17. It's beautiful. That God's face, that God responds with cries of the righteous. So knowing that righteousness is essential to power in prayer, what is this much desired quality of righteousness? And how can I attain it? Okay. Let me first of all help us understand the meaning of the word righteousness. So righteousness is often used in relation to someone else. You speak about righteousness when you're you're relating two things together, two things or two people together. Generally, it involves the fulfillment of the demands of a relationship, whether with God or with human beings. Righteousness involves the fulfillment of the demands of a relationship, whether with God or with with human beings. Let's take a secular example for example. My marriage, relationship. I see my wife as righteous in my sight because she fulfills the demands of our relationship. My wife sees me as righteous because I fulfill the demands of our relationship. But this is not a term we often use in human relationships. I don't go around and say, my wife is righteous, I am righteous. No, I don't. Righteousness is used in relation to God and to God alone because God is the true source of all righteousness. God is the true source of all righteousness. And the Bible teaches that no one is righteous. Only God is righteous. No human being is righteous. Only God is righteous. No, not one. Only God is righteous. In a sense, in a general sense, righteousness means being in right relation to someone or pleasing to someone. Being in right relation to someone or being pleasing to someone. And God is the only one who declares people righteous in his sight. I cannot say, Taylor is righteous. God is the one who declares people righteous. Righteous. And the Bible speaks of two forms of righteousness. Some people say there are three forms, but I'll limit our discussion this morning to two forms of righteousness. I think this is key to where we're going this morning. And the first form of righteousness that the Bible speaks about is imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. Let me use another example here. I'm owing, have a debt, I'm owing Pastor John Reddy (laughs) 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 $1,000. And on on this side here, Mr. Parrish said, Oh, Steve, you're owing John Reddy $1,000. You remove yourself from that equation. I'm going to hone your debt. So the word impute means to ascribe something that belongs to somebody, to another. To ascribe a quality, a property, an attribute that belongs to me. I owe the debt to John Reddy. But Tyler Parish, you say, no, 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 Steve, forget that. I'll take all your debt. So my debt has been imputed to Tyler Parish, And now, I'm free of all obligation to pay John Reddy back. He owes the debt now, not me. We established earlier on that no one is righteous. Only God is righteous. So imputed righteousness is God's way of assigning His righteousness. His righteousness in us through the cross of Jesus Christ. Imputed righteousness is Steve is a sinner, is the worst of all sinners. I tell you guys, when I was, when I was young, Growing up in Nigeria, I was still for my parents. I stole the church offering. It was that bad. But thankfully, God found me. He brought me back to Him. He forgave all of my sins. He took away all of my sins. And He imputed all of those sins to Jesus. And then the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed to me. And to God, I'm sinless. When he sees me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see my sins no more. He doesn't see that thief, that self-righteous, that stubborn, that willful child. He only sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ in me. So you might be here today. No matter how terrible your sins are, God is saying, come to me. I'll fake on your sins. Believe in my son, Jesus Christ. If you believe and receive Jesus as Lord in your life, he takes away all of our sins. He washes them away. He says, if your sins be as red as crimson, he's going to wash it as white as snow. That is imputed righteousness. So the apostle Paul, In Romans 3, it says, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, the only way to access that righteousness, the only way to gain access into that righteousness is by believing in Jesus as the Son of God. It's by believing that Jesus died for my sins on the cross of Calvary and I'm accepting Him into my life as my Lord and my Savior. That is the only way. That is the only way. Without Jesus, there is no righteousness for any of us. But thank God for Jesus. To save a sinner like me, the worst of all sinners, and bring, him, bring me into his house, into his family, as his child. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. The Apostle Paul continues, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to exchange our sins for his righteousness. The sins of the world it was imputed on Christ. My sin became were imputed on Christ. And the righteousness of Christ is now mine. It's now mine. The few of you guys have now become righteous in the sight of God. Friends, I'm telling you, no matter how bad you are, no matter what you've done, I'm telling you, Jesus saves. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, come to him. He's calling you today, come to him, come to him. Take my righteousness on you, come to me. Martin Luther, the great reformer, calls this form of righteousness, alien righteousness. He calls it alien righteousness. It is righteousness that is outside of man. It is something that God gives as a gift. It is God saying, I am for you. God is saying, I am for you. My hands are open and I am for you. That's what God is saying. That is imputed righteousness. God is saying, I am for you. No matter how bad your sins are come, I am for you. Some people also say that this form of righteousness is also called, it's a gift of God. They call it the gift of righteousness. It's a gift of God. As he said, No human being can be righteous without believing in Jesus Christ. Without the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, there is no basis to approach God. With this form of righteousness, we come into a relationship with God. God becomes our father and we become his children. With imputed righteousness, we become sons and daughters of God, and God becomes our Father. We are in a relationship with Him. So this leads us to another form of righteousness that the Bible speaks of, called practical righteousness. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he, Jesus, is righteous. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he, Jesus, is righteous. So this form of righteousness is practical. It is lived out on a day-by-day basis in the believer's life. It is a fruit of the gift of imputed righteousness. Like God has placed a deposit inside of us. This imputed righteousness is a deposit from God which 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 He gifted us. And out of that, our lives then begin to bear fruit of righteousness. Our lives then begin to bear fruit of righteousness. It involves keeping the commandments of Christ. In other words, doing what the Bible teaches as enabled by the Holy Spirit. Let me be clear. You cannot have Practical righteousness without imputed righteousness. You cannot have practical righteousness without imputed righteousness. You cannot say, without Jesus, it's all about Jesus. Imputed righteousness is Jesus giving you his righteousness. Practical righteousness is saying, I'm going to live for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So, Luther calls this proper righteousness. You know, Luther said, alien righteousness is outside of man. And then he says, proper righteousness. It is righteousness which results from alien righteousness. And he defined it as a life spent profitably in good works. Some people say it's also called the works of right conduct. When we come to Jesus, our life begins to bear fruit. The kind of fruit that we saw in the life of Christ. Practical righteousness is a fruit that is produced in response to true faith in Jesus Christ. It is a fruit produced in response to true faith in Jesus Christ. We can attain this form of righteousness by depending not on ourselves, not on self will. I'm going to try other, I'm going to close my eyes, I'm going to shut my phone. No, but it's by depending on the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. With practical righteousness, you know, remember we said imputed righteousness, God is saying, I am for you. I am for you. And the sinner who comes to God then says, God, I am for you. Imputed righteousness, God says, I am for you. Come to me, my hands are wide open. The believer then looks up and says, God, I am for you. I'm going to follow you for the rest of my days. It is making the commitment to follow the teachings, the life of Christ. While imputed righteousness puts us in relationship with God, practical righteousness puts us in fellowship with God. Such that our lives are pleasing to God. While imputed righteousness puts us in relationship with God, practical righteousness puts us in fellowship with God, such that our lives become pleasing to God. Paul appealed, commanded his spiritual son, Timothy said, flee evil desires and pursue righteousness. Said, pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. This is a form of righteousness. Every believer in Jesus Christ should aspire to attain. So going back to our text, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. The apostle James seems to be referring to practical righteousness, which is the fruit of imputed righteousness in this text. Which is consistent with other mentions of righteousness in this epistle. In this epistle, he said, "Man's right, man's anger does not bring about God's right. Does not bring about the righteousness that God desires." So let's get that. The righteousness the apostle is referring to here is practical righteousness. It is which you don't get without imputed righteousness. So the two together. So when our lives Bear fruits of righteousness. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to enjoy fellowship in the presence of God and He listens to us when we pray. When our lives bear fruits of righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to enjoy fellowship in the presence of God and He listens to us when we pray. My main point is this pursue righteousness by the Holy Spirit to access God's power in prayer. Pursue practical righteousness, which is a result of imputed righteousness, by the power of the Holy Spirit to access God's power in prayer. Jesus said in John 15, He said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. I gave you my imputed righteousness and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit fruit of righteousness, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name may give it to you. If it's as our lives bear fruit, then we can go to God and confidently ask Him for things, and we have that power in prayer. Without the fruit of righteousness, our prayers will be lacking in power and grossly ineffective. The Apostle John says... In his first epistle, in first John chapter three, verse twenty two, this is very, very profound. He said, First John chapter three and verse twenty two. The apostle John there says, Whatever we ask in prayer from him, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Jesus demonstrated this practical righteousness by obeying his father. In Matthew 3, Jesus presented himself to John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, you want me to baptize you? Do you want me to baptize you? Jesus said, yes. Let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. Let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus is obedient to his Father by submitting himself. Think about that. God submitting himself to a human being, to be baptized by that human being. Think about that. He submitted himself to John the Baptist to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus demonstrated practical righteousness. Obeying the teachings of Jesus Christ is a practical way of pursuing righteousness. Obeying the teachings of Jesus Christ is a practical way of pursuing righteousness. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Seek first. It's the new year now. The new year is coming. Thursday or Wednesday. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that we ask for in prayer, all of them will be added to us. As we seek him first, as we make him a priority, as we make him the first in our life. My challenge to us is this. What did Jesus teach in the Bible? By his sayings and by his way of life. Let us strive to know his teachings through our devotional reading and studying of the Bible. And then seek to follow those teachings by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us strive to know the teaching of Jesus through a devotional reading and studying of the Bible and abide in Him and then seek to follow them by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we follow His teaching, only then will our lives bear fruits of righteousness, fruits in keeping with the profession of our faith in Christ Jesus. And only then, and only then would we have access to God's power in our prayer lives. Only then can we influence a nation like John Knox did. Only then can we influence nature like Elijah did. Only then will we have powerful responses in our prayer. This message is for me as much as it is for you. I'm striving to grow my prayer life. I'm trying to see God's power in my prayer life. I want to see God's power. I want to see Him. I want to know Him. And it calls for all of us to examine ourselves, to examine the fruit of our lives, and to repent of every sin and every works of unrighteousness as we dedicate our lives to seeking God's righteousness. This message is for me as much as it is for you. And it calls for us to examine the fruit of our lives. What kind of fruit? Paul said in 2 Corinthians thirteen five. Said, examine yourselves. Let's examine our hearts this morning. What's the fruit coming out of my life? Are there fruits of righteousness in my life? Are there fruits bearing? We can only bear fruits as we come to Jesus. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this practical righteousness is not for you. You need the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ first and first of all. You need to be pleasing. I mean, Jesus said, he said, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. In John chapter 8. He said, for I always do what is pleasing in sight. For I always do what is pleasing in sight. So I'm telling you, God wants to look at you and love you. He wants to look at you and shower his love for you. God is saying, I'm for you. He's saying, I am for you. The Lord is saying, I am for you. I'm here today and I'm for you. Bring all of your sins to me. I'll take them. I'll take them. And I'll give you my righteousness in exchange for your sins. And to those of us who know Jesus, let us follow the teachings of Jesus. We say we are followers of the way. The followers of Jesus, let us follow the teachings of our Savior. So what I want us to do as we close now is, let's bow down our heads where we are right now. And you know yourself. You know your heart. You know, God is the one who knows every heart. He knows the reason for, the, he, he knows why you do what you do. He knows why you say the things you say. He knows why you do the things you do. There is nothing even from him. In Revelation, he said, God has the heights of fire. He so said, he has very eyes of fire. God sees us. He sees our heart. He sees our intention. So let's go before God and say, God, you know my heart, God. You see those things Pastor Tana cannot see. You see those things my wife cannot see. You see those things my children cannot see. God, examine my heart this morning. Cleanse me of all of these things. I don't know. Spend time in prayers and not have my prayer answered. So let's go before God this morning. And let's turn back to our Father and say, God, cleanse me. Forgive me of every sin in my heart. Let's talk to God right in the next one, two minutes now. Prayer doesn't have to be loud, it can be silent, it can be in your heart. Let's just talk to our father this morning. Let's talk to him. He is here today. He is here today. He is here today. And he's calling upon us. He's calling upon us. He's inviting us in intimacy in prayers. He's inviting us into intimacy in the secret place. Unrighteousness, oh, sin in the life of a believer will impact our fellowship with God. Unless we do what pleases God, unless our lives bear fruit in keeping with repentance, we cannot please God. God loves us. He said He loves us with an everlasting love. There is nothing that you can do that can break that relationship. You are in a relationship with Him as your Father. But fellowship is another thing. And unrighteousness, sin, is going to impact our fellowship with the Lord. So Father, we thank you, God. You are the great God of all the earth. We thank you. You are the God who loves us steadfastly with an everlasting love. We thank you because you say you are for us. And we can come to you anytime. We thank you because you are for us. And so God this morning... We, your people, God, we, your people, God, will repent of every unrighteousness. The writer of 2 Chronicles says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves before me and turn to me and pray and seek my face, then will I hear and heal their land. So God, we turn to you, God, with humble hearts this morning. We have no righteousness of our own, O God. We are praying that you would help us, O God. That you would help us, Holy Spirit. That you would help us to live in righteousness for you, God. You would help us to pray, oh God, to pursue you, to pursue righteousness, to pursue you in the secret place, oh God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, Amen.